everybody, how's it hanging? How's it happening, you guys? This is Kevin from the Chord Progression Podcast, brought to you by Dark Fusion Systems, the best custom computing experience for your gaming, creative, whatever needs. Go to the podcast, you can find the link and get $100 off using the code CPPOD at checkout for your entire custom build. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? They got Ryan Kirby on their team. Yes, Ryan Kirby from Fit for King, so go and do it. Now it's time for feature presentation. Not a band this time, but we have the most interesting man in the world, Steve Ricardo from Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. Yeah, that podcast here on the podcast today. You're going to find out all about this guy's origin story and really the inspiration on why when it comes to music, if you want this stuff, why you should go all in and do it with no regrets. That's right. No regrets. Not even a single letter. Are you guys ready? Let's go! Yeah. Well, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners of the Court Progression Podcast. If you caught me a couple weeks ago talking with this man right here on his podcast, Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico, you're probably like, dang, I really like this guy. I want to check out his stuff and I want to get to know more about him because he reviews a lot of great bands, talks a lot of great music, and he has a lot of great stories that he alluded to, but I wonder who this man is. So I decided... Let's have some fun with this one and bring him on the podcast to share all about it. So please, please welcome Steve, a.k.a. Twisted Rico from Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico to the podcast. So Steve, welcome to Core Progression Podcast. It's my pleasure. And I have to tell you, a lot of people enjoyed our episode, you know, because they thought it was a really good idea to have, uh, you know, another podcaster. on. <laughs> you know, I said, and they said, you should do that regularly. I said, hey, if Kevin wants to get together... How often as he wants to, we can do it, you know, and we could talk about any topic too. I'm not really, we could talk about basketball, you know, Celtics bucks, or we could talk about metal or punk or whatever, you know, favorite films. We could dive into so many great things. And if you want me to be just a a regular on your podcast, just come back every now and again, talk about something crazy, different, wacky, random music, sports, whatever it is, dude, I am down. I had so much fun the first time with you. I'd love to do it. And now this time, Today, we get to it on the flip side. So, woohoo! I just want to say I'm so impressed by your knowledge of heavy music. I mean, you blew me away when we were speaking. And then when I watched your show, I was like, wow, this guy is up on all the new metal bands. And I'm not, you know, I'm more of an old school guy. You know, I know my metal. Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Armored Saint, you know. But as far as new bands go, I'm not up as much as you are, you know. And I, the difference is I interview a lot of older people on my show. I have been getting more younger bands, but I do a lot of like, like I just interviewed uh, Brit Lightning from Vixen yesterday. <laughs> I don't know if you know Vixen, but... She's not the original guitar player. Jan passed away, but she's been with the band for like uh, seven years and they just released a new single. It's really good. And she was so cool, man. I do should have her. I'll say I do know Vixen because I think it was back when VH1 was doing those like top 100 songs of like the 80s. It's like one of their songs appeared on there. And it was like, I remember when they were talking about someone's like, this is like the female version of Poison. So I was like, okay, always listen to Poison with my dad as a kid. So of course, I'm going to be interested in going and checking that out as well. And I know you have a lot of stuff when it comes to interviewing some newer bands as well, but primarily focus on some of the older ones, given that's kind of more your wheelhouse. For me, when it comes to the younger ones, I find a lot of them, I get to know about a lot of them, but I do also have to give some credit to some of the fans that we have as well, because they're always sending me new stuff. They're always sending me new things. 
particularly one i gotta shout out my buddy julian aka heavy metal joker on instagram he always is like dude you gotta check this out you gotta check this out i love seeing his suggestions so not only am i finding this but i'm getting other people to say hey check this out as well so i, I love when love people it. do that love that well one thing that so actually well instead of just like getting other people to do it too one thing i was like to do is ask the artists like who are you guys listening to let's get more suggestions going here and then i find out about some of these other crazy bands that are doing these crazy things that you never know what might happen i've done that on a million shows man i'm always asking them what they're listening to i just want to let you know that song was edge of a broken heart by vix and that everyone puts that in their all-time metal list because it was a huge hit richard marks i don't know if you know who he is he's like a mainstream guy he wrote that song and they turned it into like a it could have been a number one hit, actually. I'm, I'm, you know, we, I don't, I didn't bring that up when we talked to each other because she didn't play on the original version, but she's on a live version that came out in 2018. But yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go back to that, but I just wanted to, uh, uh, to let you know that was the track. Yeah, they are kind of like a female poison. That was a good call right there. Good call. Oh, going back to him, dude, you know I don't mind. This this interview and this style of podcast, it's all about ping pong and back and forth. We get on a wacky random tangent. I always love it. But I want to get people also to know more about you specifically. So I want to hear about your journey in music because I know you've worked from some, some record companies in previous times and now doing a podcast as well. So how did you get into music originally, man? I want to hear your backstory. Like if you're a superhero, it's coming from, you know, just a lowly human, not doing much. It's all of a sudden superpower, Twisted Rico. You know, I'm going to go all the way back because I've been working on this book, you know. And uh, I'm going to go all the way back to when I was a teenager. I was a sport. I started being a sports writer for the weekly paper when I was only like 16. But at the same time, I, was, I had discovered black sabbath and queen those two bands especially caught my ear so i spent a lot of time with a hockey stick in front of a mirror you know so i was doing this hockey and you know rock and roll at the same time and uh eventually by the time my senior year came around i was like more into the music than the sports i love sports but music so when i went to college i got involved with writing for the school newspaper i was the editor of my college paper my first my community college paper and i always had a music column there and then i started getting involved with booking bands at the college and then when i left that school after two years and went to a four-year school I went right to the school that I could get into that had a radio station. So I got into college radio. I'm giving you like all the details. That's that's. Oh, I want right? all the details, man. I told you, I want the whole backstory. I want your origin story movie. This is it right here. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. <laughs> so, so basically once I got into the college, I walked into the college radio station and looked around. They're like, who's this guy? You know, it was in August, but there was, they were on the air already. And I moved up to my dorm early just so I could, I, I went there with one thing in mind. I want to be on the station. I never was a DJ before. And then I walked into the library and I saw the wall of vinyl. And I was like, this is where I want to live. This is where I want to be, right? So I talked to someone and they gave me a show. 
I, I wanted to have a, 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 a nickname. So I was calling myself the residential godfather and I was doing a show and it just one thing led to another. And they, they, they knew where my head was at. I wanted to be in on, you know, really involved. So I became, I eventually got elected music director of the station. So that meant my job was to decide what the playlist was. You could play a lot of things as long as it was alternative music this is in 81, okay? You weren't even idea an idea back then yet, Kevin, probably, right? Not even <laughs> close to being an idea, man. Yeah, so I so so I spent like two years like really getting to know as many people at, at record companies as I could and like getting to know music. And I went, I got really into hardcore and punk at that time and indie rock. And I just moved away from, you know, Queen and Sabbath and I got more into like, you know, uh underground stuff so when i finished school and i didn't know what i was going to do with my media communications degree you know i i was i didn't know what to do so eventually i started taking these stupid jobs and one day my friends out in la i was grew, i grew up in the boston area one day my friend said hey why don't you come to california man this is the place for you to be. You're a California guy. And I was like, because I talked about it in high school, like going to LA, 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 the beach, Venice, Malibu. That's all I thought about. So I ended up knowing I had a couch to sleep on. I didn't have any money, dude. I had $200 to my name. I had $400 and I bought a one-way plane ticket for $200. I never had been on a plane. And I had $200 to my name because I grew up in kind of a lower middle income family. We didn't have any money. I put myself through college and had loans and everything, you know. And um, so I bought that one-way ticket with the idea in mind, I'm going to go to L.A. and I'm going to get a job working for a record company. And so I went out to L.A. and I don't know, man, I just was very I, I had a lot of perseverance. Four days, I got a job at, at Enigma Records uh, which was, they put me in their sales department, which was called Green World. And my job was to sell records over the phone. So that was the job I got. And I spent the first 10 months there doing nothing but talking to record stores. That's why when I talked to you last time, I asked you about mainstream records in Milwaukee, because I knew all the record stores around the country. And I knew they were the big one in that area, you know. And um, I did that for, like I said, almost a year. And then eventually I moved over to the label. And I don't know if you want to interject and ask me questions because I'll just keep rolling, man, if you don't. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm I'm enjoying this. It's something where, you know, you're telling us the whole entire story and I'm just immersing it to the point where it's something that when we think about it, you know, you're just diving deep into your whole entire life where we're getting an idea of where you're coming from when you were younger. You know, you were into sports and music and then all of a sudden as time went on especially got to be a senior in high school, music started to take over more than sports. It's similar to me, but that didn't really start to happen until about when I was like 22, 23 years old. That's when it happened. So I'm seeing the parallels there. And a lot of people that were into music, that are still into music or very heavily into music, they may have had that transition point where music was the biggest thing for them at an earlier age, but we've all gone through that. So I'm just kind of seeing myself in you in a similar capacity, even when you're talking about yourself back in, you know, the late seventies, early eighties, and then going out to California with $400 and then spending half that on the plane ticket just to get out there. That's something that, you know, when I think about that, you're really going for what you want to go for. You're going for the passion of it. You're going because this is what you want to do. This is what you love. And you're not going to let anything stand in your way. And yeah, only having $200 to your name when you get out there 
even it, even though it is 1981 and the dollar went a lot further than it does in 2023, that's still not a lot of money to live off of. So you're forcing yourself to have to do something to have to succeed in that capacity. You don't have a safety net. Reminds me of Travis Barker when he got all the tattoos because he's like, hey, no one in a corporate setting is ever going to hire me if I've got tattoos all over the place. So I'm forcing myself to have to succeed in this realm. That's something similar to what you did by starting to work for record companies and work for a label at, which is what we're going to get to next. But it puts yourself in a position to say, hey, I've gone out and done this and I did this because I forced myself to do this. I wasn't going to have any safety net. I was going to do this because I knew I wanted to do this and I was going to do this for the love of myself and the love of the art itself. So, man, I'm absolutely loving this story. I uh, didn't have a lot of support from my parents. <laughs> They thought it was crazy. I don't doubt that, especially at that time. I do have to mention, too, besides music and sports, I was very into girls, and I figured that was the way to get girls, you know? Ah, okay, okay. If I couldn't be, I had a guitar, you know, I tried playing and being in bands, but it didn't work out. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't my thing, you know? Mm -hmm. But I did play the acoustic guitar, and I did get an electric for a while, but that wasn't what it was all about for me. It was more about uh, behind the scenes. I wanted to be around the rock stars. Like when I watch the film Almost Famous and I see the kid, it's like I cry every time I watch it because like, that was me, man. That's what I wanted, you know? And, and I that's why I love that movie. And I've watched it like 30 times. Thank you, Cameron Krull. Um so anyway, so I'll get back to the story. So then I start working for the label and I want to sign bands. And and it was a small staff. So basically we all had our thing. We Anyone could bring a band in if they thought a band was good. And I was in charge of all the sales and, and the retail stuff. So when I got there, first thing that was a major priority for me was Striper. Okay, because we had signed Striper. And we had to figure out what to do with this band. And they were a Christian heavy metal band. Well, to me, I was like a Christian heavy metal band. <laughs> but then they won me over. You know, when I saw them play and I saw their whole stick and everything, they won me over. So we came up with a great distribution plan and we ended up the yellow and black attack record had already come out. It did really well. But soldiers on the command, we really wanted to make something out of that record. So. We ended up shipping 90,000 units to independent distributors, which at that time must have broke every record there was. It was like nobody could ship that many records. And we were hitting Christian bookstores. They were all buying hundreds of cassettes. And so that was like, for me, a guy who was into punk and, you know, a different kind of music, I had to learn how to deal with other people, you know? So at the same time, there were these, two girls that worked in the distribution department, uh, Debbie and um, uh, Debbie and, oh my God, I can't remember the other girl. Sorry, Jennifer, <laughs> Debbie and Jennifer. They kept giving me flyers for this band. And they're like, you got to see this band. And I always looked at the flyer and made fun of them. And the band was poison, right? <laughs> like you got to see this band. So finally I went to the Troubadour to see them. And I, first thing I noticed when I got there is, there's a line all the way up 
you know, uh, the street and is like all girls in the line. And I'm like, whoa, this is interesting. The place only held 200 people, but I'd swear 190 of them were girls that night. So I get in there. I'm upstairs in the little balcony at the Troubadour. I'm watching. They have the intro music playing. And all of a sudden the lights go on and these four, the three guys rush the stage and they get into it. And I was like, Holy shit. The girls were screaming. The place was going wild. And I was like, for something that's not my cup of tea, this is pretty exciting. It felt like I was like seeing the Beatles, you know, for the first time. So I went backstage and I started talking. I met the whole band and Bobby and I, Bobby Doll and I immediately connected. And I swear for the next six months, I was on the phone almost every day talking to Bobby. And I went to every Poison show and I got them their deal. You know, I signed them to Enigma Records and that all of a sudden, every major label passed on them, by the way. So for me, it gave me like, I knew they were going to be big, but a lot of other people did it. So it gave me a lot of like confidence in myself that I could get them a deal. $20,000 we gave them. And that first record sold $4 million, like immediately. Now it's probably way more than that. But at the time, it was huge. So signing Poison really kind of set the way, paved the way for me after that. And I signed a lot of other bands, but none that were became as big as Poison at, at Enigma. And um or actually ever <laughs> because they're the <laughs> biggest band I ever signed. I was only 23. So I got lucky. I got off to an early start, you know? Wait, wait, wait. But so you only signed, you were 23 years old when you signed them. I mean, that is insane alone. And secondly, I'm also, I cannot wait to show just what you said that like two, three minute spot to my dad. My dad's going to lose his freaking mind hearing that, but it makes sense why especially when you're getting all these flyers and all of a sudden, okay, I have to go check out this band Poison, even though it's not your cup of tea, you're seeing it from, you know, the label side, you're going to the show and you're seeing that in a 200 space capacity, 190 of them are women for four guys in a band in a hair metal band. It's like, okay, there's going to be something here. It reminds me a lot of, you know, bar rescue. How do you get a lot of people to go to bars? If you make it female friendly and the women want to go, of course, the men are going to follow because the men are going to want to go where the women are, because that's where they're going to want to be. If they're going to want to meet somebody or talk to somebody or do whatever the heck guys are going to do, basically. So there's already this draw that is there and you know that they're going to be able to be able to bring that in. It's kind of like if you watch the, uh, the dirt movie with Motley Crue and Vince Neil all about, you know, just focusing on just, you know, getting chicks, getting laid. That's all his focus was just what is this music doing to this, these chicks? Why are they the ones in the front row? It's going to be something that's a draw, especially of a heavier sound. Even today as well, it seems like a lot of the heavier bands in the scene, the ones that are drawing women in are the ones that are really, really hitting it off very, very strong. I mean, Bring Me the Horizon has always been that kind of way, especially since 2015. Ice Nine Kills with their whole entire horror stick you love They're really, them. I absolutely love them. They're bringing people yeah. motionless and white, bad omens. These bands are getting massive in the metal scene today. And one common denominator is their music is not only connecting with men with a heavier sound, but it's also connecting heavily with women as well. And it's something where gotta you, have know, the women. you gotta have the women there in music. It's I think I forgot who said something about this, but when this becomes a pop music, it's like teenage girls drive pop music. I mean, take a look at Taylor Swift right now. You're having women from their, you know, 40s, 30s, 20s go there, but there's still women that are in their teens that are consistently going to these shows and are begging their parents to pay these insane prices to see Taylor Swift play live. And 
it makes sense. You know, if you're going to connect with people at that capacity, it's going to be a hit similar to poison right there, but just on a smaller scale compared to Taylor Swift right now, when you were signing them to Enigma. You know, um, Striper also had a large female audience too, by the way, because I went and saw them at in Costa Mesa um, at the Pacific Coast Amphitheater, and there were 10, 12,000 people there. And I went with Wes Hine, who was one of the owners of Enigma, and we could not believe it. The girls all were dressing the same way as they would at a regular metal show, but they were all like Christians. It was just, it blew my mind. I actually met a... I actually met a girl there that I started seeing for a little while, but um, which is so uncharacteristic for me. But getting back to Poison, I remember I went when one time I went and saw them. I I met Kim Fowley. I don't know if you know who Kim Fowley is. He was a uh, he's passed away recently, but he was a record producer and he formed the Runaways. If you saw the movie The Runaways, mm-hmm. he's the wacky guy in the film that you know Michael Shannon played him. He's the one that told me you should stay on this band. They're like, there's something there. And he started calling me and people like at the label were like, how do you know Kim Folly? I'm like, I met him on the Sunset Strip, you know, when I was <laughs> at a Poison show. And then we ended up working on projects together years later. Um, he, he like uh, arranged some songs for a band, the charms that I was working with. But it opened a lot of doors for me. But at the same time, Poison wasn't taken seriously by a lot of people. So a lot of people thought they were a joke. It wasn't until their record came out and Cry Cry Tough didn't really take off. But, uh, you know, Talk Dirty to Me ended up, you know, that's what really mm-hmm. propelled them. But I remember I, I, I left it after I left Enigma. That's when Capital came in and did the deal and said, we're going to take poison striper and the smithereens and move them over and i that's when i i went to work for roadrunner in new york but while i was in new york i still went to the madison square garden because i got tickets from the band and i saw them open for rat and i remember going backstage and ricky rocket says to my introduces me to his mother and father and says if it wasn't for this guy we wouldn't be here and that like made my young heart like was like wow somebody they do appreciate it you know and um anyways i got a little off the track here but a lot happened in those three years i was at enigma and i learned a lot i felt like i took that roadrunner job because roadrunner kind of stole me away and it was in a i look at back at it now and it wasn't a it wasn't the smart move roadrunner ended up becoming a huge company but i was only there second American employee. And, you know, we opened the office in New York and it was kind of a difficult situation for me working there. I only ended up signing two bands to Roadrunner, the Great Cat and the Neighborhoods who were on the Roadrunner Emergo side. I'd worked with them at Enigma and I kind of stole them from Enigma. That happens a lot in the music industry. I had Heathen. I don't know if you remember Heathen. I I thought I had them signed and the night, before we had them signed, Combat Records stole them no. from us. And their lawyer called me the next day apologizing to me because him and I had had a really good – and that bummed me out. And I also started the the talks with Gang Green when I was at Roadrunner. Kind of putting my – giving you – I'm giving you like some highlights of yeah. my career as we go along here. But – um yeah, it was kind of tough because I had to move from L.A. to New York. And I remember I did it in November. And then I didn't think I'd come back to the East Coast right in time for winter, but I did. 
But when Roadrunner didn't work out after about a year, I got the opportunity to start my own punk label and I started Giant Records. And that's when I got to work with a lot of bands I really liked, like Dag Nasty, Government Issue, Verbal Assault. We put a Seven Seconds record out, Uniform Choice. Did have a really good metal band, INC, Indestructible Noise Command. They put out two really great records back then. And um, the, the two years I spent there was really great, but I was homesick for the West Coast. So... When I I'm really moving my career along fast for you. And when I went out to L.A. to visit, I went to Metal Blade Records and Brian and I were talking and he took me into this empty office and closed the door behind it and said, if you come to work here, this will be your office. And I was like, you're offering me a job. (laughs) And I was like, "Okay." And I told him. You know, the label that I was running was owned by a distribution company and Dag Nasty was they was they're going to break up and things were just like not working for me mentally. So when Metal Blade offered me the job, I was like, all right. And I went back to L.A. and I and I started working there and I did. I only actually signed one band there because I was more involved with Mm -hmm. the marketing aspect of the label. I was the director of marketing and I got to work with Lizzie Borden, DRI, Fates Warning, Armored Saint, UFO. Uh, It was a really intruder. The band I signed was Eviction, thrash metal band from uh, Pittsburgh. And so um, that's what I did at Metal Blade. Metal Blade to me, when I look back at my career with all the places I work, because there's a couple more coming up, they were my favorite label to work for. It was a really good vibe over there. And Metal Blade's still going strong. I'm sure you must like some of their bands. <laughs> oh, I probably have to go to the website, see who Metal Blade has and be like, there's probably going to be some on there. But with especially when it comes to record labels with who signed to who, their rosters are always consistently changing. So when it comes to who's on there now, yeah, you're going to have to give me some time to look it up to see if I can make sure I know who was exactly on there. But one of the cool things, especially continuing on with your story is, you know, you're t- with what you're doing in the music industry, what you've done so far, it's you're touching so many different aspects from the sales side to signing bands, running your own label, director of marketing. There's so many different aspects that you're touching. A lot of it is on a couple of different things. One is, again, the fact you're putting yourself in that position where, you know, a lot of bands that are out there, it's, you know, yeah, it does. It is scary to put yourself out there to put you to have to like be vulnerable because of the way that financials can be especially. And also you might be a little afraid, especially the way the internet is nowadays to get negative comments, to get negative feedback. And because it's so readily available and we so tend to focus on the negatives as humans, it can be somewhat dejecting. It, it takes a lot of time to build up that confidence. And that's not something that's easy to do. But what you're able to do with your side of it was just have this confidence, continue to build it up, have this resiliency to it. And it helped you connect with so many people so that when you were ready to go to the next thing, you had these people you could talk with and these people were willing to work with you based on the reputation that you had as a consistent performer for so many of these different labels based on your track record. And I take a look at it from my standpoint as well. It's like, you know, I go to shows all the time. There's probably people that I could have absolutely have gone if i would have focused in on it could have met you know backstage could have met this person talk this person connect with this person that would have been cool and all but then i also look at for myself too i'm like if i would have done that that would have taken me out of the pit out of my favorite place in the world (laughs) maybe maybe i should have done some of that but you know what all of a sudden i see that pit open up i'm just like i gotta go 
I got to hit somebody. Let's do this. Well, let me tell you, I've never lost the fan part of me. I'm still a fan of everything. Like I've done 270 podcasts Mm -hmm. now, and I still get excited for for just about every guest I have. Um, One thing I want to tell you is when I looked back for a while, I used to think about my career and go, wow, my first eight years, I worked for four different companies. And I was like, I didn't really have any solidify. I didn't solidify myself. And and then I realized, wow, that actually was a good thing about my career because I could have got stagnant. Like I ended up working for A&M Records for seven years, but all those early days working for independent labels actually helped make me a diff a, a better person in terms of you know um what word am i looking for versatility you yeah. know and, and i had a wide range of music and interests you know um metal blade um after after i left metal blade i actually worked for michael douglas the actor <laughs> Uh, he had a, a publishing company called Third Stone Music, and my job was uh, to to work on films as a mis- assistant music supervisor. Plus, we had a label connected with uh, Atlantic. Now, there were only two bands I was involved with there. The Neighborhoods I brought back there, and Saigon Kick, I don't know if you know them, we, we put those two bands through. Uh, but I realized after working there for a few years that I really belonged at a record label. And that's how I ended up getting my major label job, you know, which is the one that I spent my whole career trying to get to. It took me to my 30s to get there, but I got there. And at AM, I, I got to do a lot. What I started as an AR consultant. And I would bring bands in the studio and do what they call demo deals with bands. And I did a demo demo deals with a bunch of bands. None of them got picked up by Brian Huttenhauer. Brian Huttenhauer was my boss. He sound signed. He signed Soundgarden, Extreme, um, Gin Blossoms, Damn the Machine, which was Chris Poland from Megadeth's band. Paw. He had all those bands, and I brought in some decent bands like Down by Law, which Dave Smalley. He was in uh, DYS, Dag Nasty, um, and he's a, he's just a great punk rock singer. I, I did some demos with Joey Vera, who's the bass player of Armored Saint. Also, he filled in with Anthrax for a while and also Fate, with Fate's Warning now, too. They're like a progressive metal band. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know them. Um and a few other bands I did demo deals with, but they wanted me to do marketing because everyone like, I always got pushed to marketing. So I started off like the metal marketing guy. And then I ended up the, the director of alternative marketing and all my time there, I worked with bands. I got to work with some great big artists, small artists. Like I'd, I'd been, I at one time or another was at a sting, Brian Adams, Cheryl Crow, Amy Grant, Soundgarden, um so many gin blossoms blues traveler i was got to work with all those bands one way or the other my favorite thing that i ever did was i would go on the road with bands and i when i went out with damn the machine chris poland from meg the original guitarist of megadeth's band they opened for voivod and i got to do a six-week metal tour and that was really one of the highlights of my whole time at a&m because i was on the road and i made a lot of friends 
and I still have them now. Matter of fact, I told I I mentioned I'm going to mention mainstream again because there was a picture in a trade magazine with Dan the Machine guys and myself and the managers from Mainstream Records in Milwaukee. <laughs> I remember being in Milwaukee with them and uh, drinking a lot of beer. Yes, and, uh, <laughs> that's what you do in Milwaukee, right? And um, I love that. I love going on the road. So I just gave you like a whole in between all of that. I wrote for magazines under different names a lot of times. I I uh, was in a few films. I've done been in documentaries. Pretty much that's my career right there. And when it all ended, oh, and then I started managing bands after I left, and um and I managed bands for like eighteen years until. I never, never could really break a band, but I had a lot of very successful garage rock bands, the Love Me Nots, the Charms, Go Go Girls. I worked with Rick Barton from Dropkick Murphy's band, Continental, um, and a ton of other bands, Caged Heat, who were a great punkified blues band. And when that all ended and I couldn't give up, I started a podcast. <laughs> Uh, all right, and that's your I, life, Steve Ricardo, and that is the life of Steve Ricardo. But this is <laughs> I just listening through your whole entire story. The first thing I'm thinking about is, dude, you should definitely be the spokesperson for Dosakis right now as the most interesting man in the world because <laughs> everything that you've done in the music industry, like I don't, I don't think there's anyone that has done as many different things in the music industry as you have over the course of your career from marketing, signing bands, A&R, just running your own label at the same time to managing bands, a consulting, a freaking podcast. Like there's so much that is there. The only thing that you haven't done has been actually playing a band yourself. But when it comes to just- I tried. Yeah, you tried, <laughs> of course. Yeah, you tried, but everything else worked out so, so much better. It is still incredible to hear all of that. And it's just an absolute incredible life wrapped up into a nutshell right there. Even though looking at the time frame, how long that nutshell took, that was like a half hour story. But again, I wanted the origin story. I wanted the superhero origin story. And now I know, you know, Steve Ricardo, most interesting man in the world right here. That's what and we you know, have. You know, and I apologize too, because I can't stand, well, not that I can't stand it, but sometimes a guest will ramble on and on and on. And I want to get in there and I have to interrupt them. But I do want to mention that I did, take part in gang vocals on two gang green songs on another case of brutality album on tang Records. so i did make it in the studio behind the microphone you just have <laughs> never made it up on stage to make it that way that's the only just thing you introduce bands that's about it i just, just i did i i have done some drunken background vocals a few times for bands <laughs> i don't think they wanted me to but i did <laughs> Uh, oh, if I'm definitely, if there's any way for me to promote this episode, it's going to be your face over the most interesting man in the world. Instead of the Dos Equis file, I'm just going to put your podcast logo on it because th th that's basically what this is at this point. And you know what I didn't get out of my life? A wife, kids, <laughs> because I married the music industry, basically. That's the, that, well, you know, not that it was important for me to get married and have kids because I've had my share of relationships, but you know, that could never happen for me because I was all in, mm -hmm. all in, man. And, and, you know, anyone that I work for will tell you that too. That's the one thing. If you're going to go for something, man, you got to go for it. And I went for it hard. That's a great way to put it too. And a great way to look at it because, you know, in life, 
and this is coming from me at 28, almost 29 years old at this point where, yeah, I haven't gone through as much experience as a lot of other people have, but I'm, I'm rather observant with some of these things. I've talked about a lot of these things in the podcast and I've had experiences and heard about this. So when it comes to, yeah, you take a look at it, you know, you might not have had a wife, you might not have kids, but you take a look back at it. If you're able to look back at your life and say, I did what I wanted to do. And when you look back at it, you're thinking about everything you did with the fondness memories, with happiness, and you're thinking about replaying those memories in your head instead of thinking about it and regretting the things that you didn't do. That is always the key. I still remember when I was like 12, 13 years old, my grandfather was in the VA hospital. And of course I talked to him, but then there's always a lot of other veterans around as well. So sometimes we'd play cards, I'd play cribbage with them and I'd hear some of their stories. And a lot of times the stuff that they would talk about was stuff they wish they did. It wasn't what they did do. It's what they wish they did, what they wish they would have done. And that feeling of just living with regret that later on, I'm like, I don't really want to do that. So when it came to myself as well, putting so much time and effort in the podcast, have I missed out on times with friends as well? Yeah, I have. Have I missed out on potential relationships or not put myself into those positions? I have in the past, absolutely. But if I were to have done that and taken the podcast out of it and just worked a full-time job and tried some of this other stuff, I still remember what it was like doing that before I started it. And I was just going home after you know work, after the gym, sitting in front of the TV, doing nothing, wondering if life was ever going to get better. So I always remember that and I'm like, no, I don't regret any of this. And it feels like you're the exact same with everything that you've done because you're, you went in for the music, you were all in for it. And that's really where your passion lied. You know, the travel thing was great too. I got to go to Europe like five times. I got to go to Mexico, Jamaica, Canada, you know, all over the United States. But I'll tell you, it's funny you say, say that about what you remember in your career. You know what I really remember? Meeting Brian May, meeting Robert Plant, meeting John Entwistle, meeting John Bon Jovi, working with Poison, meeting Cheryl Crow, you know, Amy Grant, Soundgarden, you know, all the bands and people that I got to meet over the years. I never met a Beatle, unfortunately. That was what, oh, Mick Jagger I got to meet because I'm in Brian Adams' dressing room, standing there with Brian Adams talking to his band and everyone's looking in my direction. And I look and Mick Jagger's standing next to me. Can you imagine what that would feel like to look and see that sculptured face of Mick Jagger? Hi, how you doing? And I was like, you're fucking Mick Jagger, man. Just had that look of like, <laughs> holy <laughs> shit. You know, meeting all those rock stars. And even I get excited still when I, inter like I interviewed Carlos Alomar, David Bowie's guitar player on my podcast. And I was like, in awe the whole time. See, I'm a groupie, man. That's really what I am. I'm like a rock groupie. I love bands. I love musicians. I wanted to be around them. And that's what I did with my life. And I have no regrets about it at all. I Every time I was in a dressing room with a band or in, in the front of a stage, and it, it meant the world to me, man. It did. You know, we, we, we're still doing, you're doing what I'm doing. We're providing a service for these people. We're promoting the rock stars. That's what we do. And I don't mind doing that at all. I love it. I don't mind doing that at all either. Not just promoting the band, but like you said, promoting the rock star specifically and kind of thinking about it. One of the ways I really enjoy it is because we get to know these rock stars as people. We get to know who they are. We get to have fun with them and we get to have this back and forth conversation where whoever is listening, whoever's watching 
gets to not only know us, but gets to know these artists as who they are as people. It's not just, you know, what you would read in Loudwire or Kerrang or Alt Press or Metal Injection. You're not, it's not what you're reading there. It's you're actually getting to experience this and you get to connect with them and relate to them because, hey, they may have gone through similar experiences as you. Maybe they're, you know, having tough times with relationships like you are. Maybe they don't have the best relationships with their parents. Maybe they've, you know, overcome a, uh, a drug addiction or alcohol addiction. It's something that we can connect with and we can see that and we get to know more about them. Plus, when it comes to rock music, how many times over the past, like, you know, 15, 20 years did mainstream media say rock is dead, rock is dead. And then there was never any new rock stars that came forward that really had that enigma mantle feel to them where you were drawn to them like you had been back in the 60s with the Beatles, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, even at times the early 2000s as well. Well, this is what we're doing. We're being able to show off these people and say, these are the rock stars and you get to know them. You get to have that connected feel to them and they can see their louder than life personality at times too. So we can have those moments where these rock stars can actually be rock stars and the genre as a whole, whether it's rock metal, any subgenres, can get that recognition and get those fans back once again. You know, little things mean something to me. And I got a prop in my hand right here that I'm going to hold up because I just pulled this out the other day. I got this in 1987 when I met the band on an airplane. And I kept it. It's my autograph Vixen photo. <laughs> and, you know, having Brit Lightning on the show, I had to, like, pull it out and show it to her, you know. And I have tons of, like, things from bands. And it means a lot to me, man. The, the you know, and all the records I have in the other room, you know, they're like the most valuable thing in my life, you know. And um, yeah, I mean, it, you used a great line. You said Enigma Mantle, by the way. I was thinking, <laughs> wow, somebody should use that for a band name. Enigma Mantle. <laughs> that would be a fun band name. So <laughs> someone write it down. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there. Oh, it's, I'll tell you a funny story, actually, about how much it all means to me. Um, there was this band called the Click Five. I knew their manager. And he asked me to help them book some gigs for him. And one day he called me up because I one thing I left out is I did book clubs for a little while, but it's a rough job. You know, mm -hmm. I did this one bar in Boston for two years and booking bands is really difficult work. But this guy knew I had the connection. He used to be Kiss's tour manager. So he said to me one day, can you put the click five on a show? Because Kiss is going to be playing and in town and i want to try and get paul to come and see the band and i was like okay and i told everyone in the bar right that well kiss might show up <laughs> and everyone thought yeah right okay well guess what a limo pulled up outside and paul stanley and tommy thayer who replaced ace freely and their girlfriends or wives or whatever showed up and the guy that was with them was what got my attention. It was Doc McGee, who managed Kiss, Skid Row, Def Leppard, all these bands. And I went right up to Wayne and I said, you got to introduce me to Doc McGee. He goes, don't you want to meet Paul Stanley? No, I want to meet Doc McGee. <laughs> that's kind of like how I am. Of course, I met Paul Stanley. He didn't shake anyone's hand. He kind of rubbed his hand against everybody, which is funny, but I can understand germs, you know. Mm -hmm. But um. Meeting Doc McGee was so great because he was like what I wanted to be, but I never could be, you know, not with the criminal element that went along with his whole life. If anyone knows who he is, he's been in a little bit of trouble. But, you know, the fact that he managed Skid Row and Bon Jovi and Def Leppard and Kiss, I mean, those are pretty big bands, you know, and um, 
management, you know, was tough, but I, I, you know, it, it, it's something I had to do, you know, and I had to do, a, that's why what you said before, you got to do the things that you want to do with your life or you will regret it. And you don't want to have regrets. No, I always, I kind of look at it in a sports reference where it's like, you only get one, you only get one at bat in life. Why would you go and play it safe with a bunt single? Why? <laughs> if you only get one chance at it, why not go for it all? Because the fact of the matter is, is if all of a sudden, oh, what happens if you swing and miss? Okay, you swung and missed, but when you think back about it, you're not going to have regrets saying, I wish I would have gone for it. You're going to know that you tried, and if it didn't work out, it didn't work out, and you could probably go into something else. But you got to take that chance. You got to take that swing. And even when I've had those times with a podcast where, man, I feel like I can't go no more. Financially, it's not working out. Like, this is not going well. I still think about that, too. And I again, think about that time when before I was doing it, if I wasn't doing it, I'd be just absolutely hundred percent miserable and I'm not letting myself go down that road again. Dude, I just posted some compilation photos on my Instagram today saying that it's a labor of love because I know exactly what you're talking about. When you lose a sponsor, man, it's like, oh Jesus, you know, it's like you it's not easy doing this, you know, but mm -hmm. we have to do it because we love it. There's something another story I wanted to tell you just because I thought you would like my rock stories, you know. Oh, when I, I was love working these stories. At, when I was working at Metal Blade, all these labels used to hire us to like kind of build the base for their new bands. And there was a band that was coming out of Seattle called Mother Love Bone. It was members of Green River uh, were in the band. And we started working with them, right? And I got to work on their first EP. Well, one day when they were in town playing at the Whiskey, uh, Mike Feely, the president of Metal Blade, said a couple of guys from the band are going to come in. Will you meet them? And it was uh, Stone Garson and Jeff Amit, right? And I don't know if you know who those guys are. They're in Pearl Jam. But it was the bass player and the guitar player mm -hmm. Pearl Jam, in case people don't know out there. And I met them in the morning, and they came in my office, and I had a Celtics thing on my wall. And all we talked about for the whole time was there, they were there was basketball. <laughs> we never talked about anything else to do with music. Just that's all they wanted to talk about. And when I went to see them that night at the Whiskey, the singer had a Lakers shirt on. And Andrew Wood, he passed away, unfortunately. He was walking around the crowd and just sticking the mic in people's faces. And we're in the middle of L.A. and he stuck the mic in my face. Celtics rule! <laughs> like everyone's booing in the whole fucking place. Excuse me, I don't know if he like swears. On oh, podcast. I don't give a shit, man. I want to be the authentic you. So if you want to swear, go fucking right ahead. But but it was I just you know I had to tell you that I did that because the Laker fans did not appreciate it at all. But I'm a Celtic fan and I didn't give a shit either. So oh, I'm I'm all for that too. Because again, I'm wearing like right now. I got a Minnesota Vikings hat, and I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's where I live. So I live in the territory <laughs> where it's all Packer fans. I've been. It's been this way my whole entire life. I've always been the opposing fan. Heck, even when, because uh, I went to school in Minnesota as well. So went to University of Minnesota, Golden Gophers. Every year when the Gophers and Badgers, Wisconsin Badgers, play each other in football and the game's the in game. Minnesota. Yeah, when the game is in Minnesota, like it is in 2023, I don't go to the game in Minnesota. I will go to a bar in Madison on Regent Street, which is right where the main bar, like strip for the university where all their bars are. I'll go to the one my brother manages. My dad and I will go there. I'll be the only one wearing maroon, and I have a blast every time, whether the Gophers win or lose. It doesn't matter. I have a great time regardless because it's just fun, and it's it's a great time. It's like going to shows, too, where 
yeah, I, you know, maybe your favorite band is playing like the, the headliner. Maybe the band I want to go see is the band right before them. Who cares? We're all there. Have a good time. Let's just enjoy, relax, have a good time. And heck, if you want to try and hit me in the pit, bring it on. We'll have some fun. <laughs> That's the one place I didn't spend a lot of time is the pit. When you're, yeah. you know, 5'8", 160 pounds, back, well, even back then I weighed less, you know. It's not a safe place for a guy like me, you know. It's Yeah, it's a little it's a little different for me standing six one around, uh, like I think I weighed myself the other day, it was like 188. So, yeah. You yeah. got underst- to understand too, I was like, the pits I'm talking about were hardcore, not metal. I was like, yeah. in the early 80s, when I went to shows, it was hardcore, okay? It was like, and I remember it's going so to CGB's. Yeah, I remember going, well, they didn't do the arms. I don't like that arm karate thing they do. They didn't I don't do either. that back then. It was a circle, and it was just like slamming, you know? And But a lot of the dudes were big dudes that would go in there, and I, I would just not be able to survive. I remember I accidentally got thrown in a pit a few times and <laughs> crawled out but you know <laughs> still one of the most interesting men in the world the most interesting man in the world steve ricardo aka twisted rico right here on the court progression podcast well as we're coming close to that time i've got one final question for you before i wrap this up steve if you if you're ready for it uh, i'm i'm i think so i got my phone ready in case you start asking me like a, a list or something oh, like i gonna, did to you it's gonna be a list but i'm not I'm, we'll see what you come up with so i love asking this question in the podcast because i ask this to every band now and i'm asking it to you because it gets us to know more great music that's out there especially from the new side so can you give me three bands three newer bands that you are absolutely in love with right now i want to hear because i want to get more people into more great new music and I want to hear the three suggestions from the most interesting man in the world. Well, I feel kind of weird doing this on your show because I know you have a very heavy audience. So, I mean, the heaviest band that I've been into lately that's new and they only have a demo out, their demos are out on Bandcamp is The Long Wait, which is members of SSD Control, Slapshot, and uh, the Wrecking Crew. Those are all big hardcore bands. That I went to see that one of their shows. They were great. I uh, love them. Um, there's a band in California called Straight Jacket. They sound exactly like Green Day. So if you don't mm-hmm. like Green Day, you probably won't like them. <laughs> but I think I'm cheating. I'm looking at my phone right now. Um, uh, let's see. Who else? Um, what else have I been listening to lately? Um See, I listen to a lot of older stuff. Survival Guide, I really like. Emily Whitehurst. Um, she was the original singer of Tsunami Bomb. I've been listening to them a lot lately. Really like them a lot. Um, Muck and the Myers are my favorite Boston band right now. They're a garage rock band. I really like them a lot. Louise Post from Veruca Salt put out a really good solo record. You know, I really enjoyed that. Juliana Hatfield, I'm, I've been listening. She just put out a, a, an ELO tribute record. I really like that a lot. The Croaks, I'm, I'm surprising myself that I'm remembering all these. They're a very young Boston band. Like, I'm into a lot of Boston bands because I've always been a supporter of the scene. And I'm out here, Fair. you know. Understandable. Um, you know, I mean, I like, you know, I, I even like Boy Genius, you know, who is like, you know, you wouldn't think they that they would be someone I like. It's Phoebe Bridgers, Julian Baker and Lucy Dacus. It's kind of like an alt country almost band, you know, I like them. And I think, you know, 
I, I, I dig into my record collection a lot. You know, there's a new band called Blaming on Whitman. They're kind of a high energy. They sound like a 90s uh, alternative band. I like them. There's a, a lot of the people I've mentioned have been or will be on my show because <laughs> I, you know what I do, man? When I have a show coming up with a guest, I end up going deep diving into yeah. their whole career and spent like I just had Brit Lightning on from Vixen and. You know, she was in a band called Jaded. They were all girl metal band around 2005 to 10. I went back and watched a bunch of their videos, you know, because I want to know what these people have done with their careers. You got to read. I don't have to tell you this because you're good at it, you know, but a lot of people have podcasts. They don't research and they they don't even know who they're interviewing. I mean, that's a sin. It's an insult to the guest. It's an nope, insult to the guest. Yeah, it's an insult to the guest, and it's an insult to you know the artistic integrity that's being put forward and from not only the guest but for yourself as well. If you're not actually trying to figure this stuff out, it's I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense. But this is why I'm calling you the most interesting man in the world once again. I asked you to give me three bands. You gave me like ten. <laughs> you oh. overshot it way, way, way too much, and I absolutely love it. So. Man, that's gonna be a hard video to cut up. It's gonna be like ask three all of a sudden. Bonus, 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 bonus. But it's yeah, all let me for just fun. say one other thing too. Even when I was when you came and when you re reached out to me and said I'd love to be on your show, I did a lot of my research on you. Okay, <laughs> I went and watched watched a bunch of your podcasts, and I, you know, I couldn't watch them all obviously because you have a lot. But you know, I you, you turned me on to some bands I didn't know. You know, so yeah. That's what you have to do. I'm taking that as a win. So, Steve, as we bring this podcast to the conclusion, one of the things I like to do is give my guest, which is you, right now, a chance to do whatever you want to say, plug or you want to plug, promote your promote at the end of the episode. So, my friend, the floor is yours. Well, you know, my show is called Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. You can listen to it on Apple, Spotify. I just got added to iHeart, Amazon. I do do videos. I put the Zoom interviews on, on YouTube. I know you're more of a YouTube focused guy i'm more of a listener kind of guy i guess it's i don't know an age thing or whatever <laughs> but you know i mean i i want to be like mark Marin, you know and have that big listening audience where he mm -hmm. doesn't even do video but i like video don't get me wrong um next monday i don't know when this show's coming out but on the 27th of november the one i, I mentioned her three times already i'll mention again brett lightning excuse me brett Got her name wrong now. <laughs> Britt Lightning from Vixen. I I just interviewed her. That's that's one of my um, big ones coming up. But I've interviewed a lot of other people, a uh, lot of people. So go back 270 episodes. Check it out. Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I also have a TikTok page at Twisted Rico, and I put a lot of clips up from my shows on there, too. I'm going to plug that as well. And the Instagram is at Blowing Smoke with TR. Got to... Shout out to the social media, right? Oh, absolutely. Got a shout out to the social media. You have to. I, and that's why I'm in this podcast with three very specific things. Because Mr. Twisted Rico right here, most interesting man in the world, told you where you can find the podcast. <laughs> Basically, the exact same place you can find us in the Corporate Crush Podcast. YouTube, Spotify, a podcast, iHeartRadio, Amazon. 
And he told you where to go find him on social media as well to stay connected with him. And so you know about all the great episodes and the great guests he's having coming on his show as well. But instead of having to look all that stuff up yourself, because I know how much of a pain that can be, let me do all the research for you. I'm going to be your own personal Google. So go to the description of the podcast where it says find Blowy Smoke with Twisted Rico online. Links for social media and where you can find this podcast are going to be right there for you. So all you have to do is click the link and go to enjoy content from the most interesting man in the world. Now it's time for number two. See, whenever I've guessed the podcast and done the podcast, I tend to make a certain promise and man, you absolutely hit on this, but I have to tweak it a little bit because I always do this with bands. So I'm going to do it with you differently. It's instead of when I get to see perform live for the first time, when I get to meet you for the first time, likely at a show, I'm going to come up. I'm going to say hi. We're going to have a good time. But my promise to you is this, my friend. First round's on me. <laughs> Thank you. I don't drink alcohol anymore, but I'll take a, you know, uh, an iced tea with extra lemon. That is perfectly <laughs> fine with me. It's first round of whatever, man. I know there's a lot of bands out there that don't drink anymore. I'm like, hey, whatever you guys want. If it has to be, you know, iced tea or something or, you know, an overpriced liquid death can, I'm good with that. Whatever it is. So, see, I like liquid death. As we bring this podcast conclusion, I cannot end this by saying goodbye because, dude, talking with you today on the flip side compared to what we did the last time is so much fun. I would love to keep this going, bring you back on. I'd love to be back on your show as well. So let's keep this rolling. So this is not goodbye, my friend. This is, I'll see you later. Thanks, Kevin. Well, folks, my interview with Steve Ricardo, blowing smoke with Twisted Rico from the podcast. eh? Now it's time for Kevin's final thought. This dude is the most interesting man in the world. Hearing these stories, hearing these insane moments that he's had in music, I, the thing that stands out to me the most is when we were talking towards a little bit towards the end about he's like, I don't have I haven't have a wife, no kids. I've had relationships in the past, but he was married to the music. But the key behind it is he doesn't regret any of it. The things that he wanted to do in life with music, with his life, he went out and did. So when he's older, when he gets to that point where, you know, everything's in the past and what's in the future is, you know, the great beyond. He's going to be looking back on his life, thinking about all the great things he did, not things he wish he did. Now, when it comes to myself as well, it's, I don't know where else life's going to take me, but right now I'm still fully dedicated to this stuff and I don't regret a minute of it. I don't regret going to these shows. I don't regret doing all these podcasts. I don't regret taking time from other things to continue to do this because I remember what life was like before I started this stuff and how miserable I was, even when I had time to go and do stuff with friends or do other things. I would just sit around there and I would wait for something to happen. Like, is life getting any better? And I think about all the stuff I've been able to do since I started the podcast when I was 24 years old. And I was like, my God, this is fun. I do not want to stop. I want to keep going. So we're going to keep rolling with it. And whether your life is your wants and you really want to, you know, have a family, have a career, go after something, whatever it is, just make sure you're doing it so that, you know, when life comes to an end, you're looking back at the things you did with happiness and not wishing you did different things. When it comes to finding Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico online, yes, the podcast. Go to the podcast. All the links to social media are there for him and where you can find the podcast, YouTube, Spotify, Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Amazon. Also, make sure you follow along with the Core Progression Podcast. So in the description, you can find us, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Best places to find out about what's coming next, where the podcast is, all that good stuff. Also, make sure to subscribe right down here. Subscribe to our podcast here on YouTube. New episodes every single Tuesday and Thursday and episodes of Reactions every Friday as well. If you're on audio versions, Spotify, Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon, 
You can listen to the audio version, all the episodes in full every Tuesday and Thursday. Be sure to like this video, like this episode, help pushing the algorithm. Thank you, Mr. Most of the man in the world, Twisted Rico. Oh, we're going to be bouncing back and forth on each other's podcasting because this is so, so much fun. So that's it for you guys. Thank you for watching listening to the Card Progression Podcast. My name is Kevin, and you guys know how I end every single one. This is a big, healthy, and hearty. See y'all.